0: Hey listeners, we have a very rare opening for an associate sound designer mixer here at De facto Sound. That's my sound design studio and the studio behind 20,000 Hertz. To learn more, visit jobs.defactosound.com. This application window closes on May 22nd. Now, on to the show. You're listening to 20,000 Hertz. Let's kick! Probably the most famous case of music plagiarism is still Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. Ice, ice The song copied the exact intro from Under Pressure by David Bowie and Queen. When Ice Ice Baby came out, people would hear that iconic bass line and be totally jarred when some guy yelled, let's kick it, instead of the piano coming in. Initially, Vanilla Ice famously claimed that the songs were different.
1: Ding, 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 ding. That's the way theirs goes. Ours goes ding, 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 ding. Ding, 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 ding. That little bitty change, it's not the same.
0: He later admitted to simply sampling the song. He claimed that he was just joking about them being totally different. Queen and David Bowie threatened a lawsuit but settled out of court. Now they get royalties and all of them were added to the songwriting credits.
1: Rap music is sampling, and people who don't understand rap music, they say, well, he borrows this or steals this. Rap music, every major rap artist in the world samples music, you know? The Vanilla Ice thing became such a joke because he wasn't approaching it with any degree of sophistication.
0: That's Adam Neely. Adam's a bass player and also makes music education videos on YouTube.
1: It's not the best song, but I do, on an intellectual level, think that Vanilla Ice, when he did that, is very much continuing in the tradition of Mozart and Beethoven and anybody who has built a new melody, a new structure off of old material. That is what music is. That is what remixing is. And that is an integral part to the lifeblood of music making.
0: But Mozart and Beethoven wrote the notes down and new musicians played new music. In the case of Vanilla Ice, this sample is a direct copy of Queen's original recording. That's why sampling caused a big stir in the copyright world. Another famous example of extremely obvious sampling is MC Hammer's 1990 song, You Can't, can't Touch, touch this. this. You Can't Touch This. The beat in MC Hammer's track is sampled from the Rick James song, Super Freak. Rick James sued, but the case was settled out of court. Sampling threw a giant wrench into the gears of copyright law. In acoustic music, you could argue that this chord progression or this vocal melody is similar to that one. In sampling, they are exactly the same. It's literally a copy and paste. It's a small bit of a recording from one song being played within another. Sampling has a rich history, especially in early hip-hop. Many songs even had layers of samples. So, in the early days, figuring out who borrowed what and who got credit was difficult. Here's another example called It Was a Good Day by Ice Cube. That was sampled from Footsteps in the Dark by the Isley brothers. Ice Cube just used a small part of the intro from that record and built a whole new track out of it. There are literally thousands of examples like this. Entirely new genres of music developed out of sampling and reimagining older music into something new. But over time, sampling came under legal scrutiny and became much harder to do. In 1991, rapper Biz Marquis lost a copyright lawsuit to Gilbert O'Sullivan for the song Alone Again. into a limo I had to walk home I wrote it in my memo I'm alone again Naturally And here's Gilbert O'Sullivan's original song. A
2: little while from
0: now. The songs share a beat, a piano chord progression, and the title and lyrics, Alone Again. In the end, this case really scared the music industry. After this point, it started to become much more difficult to get samples cleared when producing music for commercial release. Some people even say this case marked the end of the golden age of sampling. Today, sampling has become much more standardized and also more expensive. Even a small sample can cost a huge amount of money, sometimes paid upfront and sometimes paid over time through royalties. (laughs) Here's a hit song from 2007, Paper Planes, by M.I.A. And here's Straight to Hell, by The Clash. M.I.A. and producer Diplo built an entire song out of this short instrumental part that The Clash only played twice in their own track. MIA and Diplo simply got permission, and The Clash were all named as songwriters in advance. No lawsuit, no charges of theft. The Clash embraced the MIA song, saying it was a great use of their work. But the creative possibilities of sampling are still challenged by the legal requirements of copyright. The ownership of a song is broken into two parts. First is the underlying composition. This is all of the elements that someone wrote. Basically, the sheet music. Then, there's the physical recording of the song, which is the performance of the musicians and the tones of their gear. Sampling requires an artist to get both types of copyright permission. For the recording, a record label will usually own those rights because they paid for the recording session, so that specific recording of the song belongs to them. But they don't own the idea of the song. The idea, on the other hand, is frequently co-owned by the artist and the publisher so a musical artist might only own a small portion of their own work. In the early 90s, John Fogerty was sued for plagiarism. Fantasy Records, the publisher of Credence Clearwater Revival's song, Run Through the Jungle, claimed that John Fogerty's solo song, Old Man Down the Road, infringed on their copyright. But John Fogerty was the singer of Credence Clearwater Revival, so that literally means he was sued for plagiarizing himself. Here's Run Through the Jungle.
1: Oh, it was a nightmare. It up, so true.
0: And here's Old Man Down the Road. He take- So, John Fogerty wrote and sang in both songs, but that doesn't mean he's the only copyright holder. Remember, there are separate rights for writing and recording. And any mainstream artist has to split their earnings with publishers and record labels. John Fogerty had left Fantasy Records and started a solo career. He spoke in detail about this case during an interview at the Grammy Museum. Okay, you got the old song, the new song. Fantasy Records is the publisher of the old song. They still have to pay that songwriter, me, right? It's roughly 50-50. The new song, which was written also by me called Old Man Down the Road, I'm the songwriter, but I'm also the publisher. So if fantasy prevails, then the new song
1: is nothing, and those guys own the whole thing.
0: As Fogarty put it, he was being sued for sounding like himself. The melodies were similar, but not exact. The guitar riff was related, but not the same. In court, Fantasy Records hired somebody to program the melodies of each song into a computer to compare them. Remember, this is in the mid-90s.
2: What he did was
0: he programmed the melody of uh, Run Through the Jungle into the computer... (laughs) <laughs> it really sounded like that, folks. <laughs> After that, they played, now here's an old man down the road. <laughs> right? Fogarty said the jury looked confused. When it was his turn to demonstrate, he famously pulled out a guitar and played it in court. He explained how they were different, and that the similarities existed because he was the same person playing the same genre of music. And he won the lawsuit. Some saw this lawsuit as an attempt by Fantasy Records to silence one of their former artists. Fogarty as a solo artist was successful enough to mount a defense, but not all songwriters have that kind of money. He countersued and eventually won a Supreme Court case that basically said, if companies like Fantasy Records lose a copyright lawsuit, they have to cover the lawyer's fees of the defense. But even with that ruling, this stuff is expensive.
2: You'll often hear people say that uh, right without a remedy is no right at all. And I think that's been true for a lot of individual creators and small businesses.
0: This is Sandra Stars, a law professor at George Mason University. She sees the current system as cost prohibitive for many small creators.
2: For instance, if you are a individual or a small business and you don't have an army of lawyers at your disposal to deal with all of your business matters, you're gonna have to make the decision on a daily basis Do I sit down and compose? Or do I sit at home crawling through the internet trying to find infringements and then trying to track those people down and deal with them to be able to remain viable as a small business? You can probably guess what most artists choose. They just try and shoot more images, write more songs, go on tour to try and keep themselves afloat as creative businesses, and they let the copyright protection aspects go by the wayside.
0: Sandra says it could be incredibly expensive to defend yourself against a copyright suit, or to even bring one to court to begin with.
2: That's because copyright is a body of federal law, and so you have to go to the federal courts. There's no small claims proceeding. It's not like when you have an argument with your landlord and you can both go to small claims court. You know, you don't necessarily have to have lawyers and it doesn't cost you much to resolve this dispute fairly. That doesn't exist in copyright. But there is a push to change this. There has been an effort over the past couple of years to pass legislation that would create such a system within the Copyright Office where, whether you are a plaintiff or a defendant, you could have access by voluntary agreement to this forum that would act essentially as a small claims court.
0: Copyright law has been getting a lot of public attention. In recent years, there have been several high-profile cases, the one that's made the most headlines and seemed to send shockwaves through the music community was Pharrell Williams and Robin Thick versus Marvin Gaye. Blurred lines. blurred lines. Blurred lines. Blurred lines. Blurred lines. We talk about blurred lines and what it might mean for the music industry after the break. Here's this episode's mystery sound. And again. If you think you know that sound, you can submit your guess at mystery.20k.org. If you guess it right, you'll be entered to win one of our world-famous super soft 20,000 Hertz t-shirts. We'll reveal the answer to last episode's mystery sound at the end of the show, so stick around. When I think about hiring, it just seems like it's more work, more stress, and more pressure. But here's how Indeed takes away all that worry. Indeed is the world's number one matching and hiring platform with over 350 million visitors every month. Indeed cuts out the work of hiring with smart AI technology that helps you find the right candidate quickly. It takes the stress out of the process with scheduling, screening, and messaging all in one place. So you know exactly what you're up to in the hiring process because Indeed keeps track of everything for you. Then Indeed relieves the pressure of choosing the right person. That's because their skill tests give you the confidence that you've got the right candidate. So now when you think of hiring, don't think of all those negatives. Just think of Indeed. To try Indeed for yourself, with a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility, visit Indeed.com Hertz. Just go to Indeed.com slash Hertz right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Hertz. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. NetSuite has simple solutions for complicated business problems. For example, let's say you open a bakery. Before long, your hotcakes are selling like, well, hotcakes. But you keep running out of ingredients. No problem, because not only can NetSuite automate your purchasing so you're never out of stock, but it can also check that your staff have the right training to make those hotcakes to perfection. Mm. NetSuite can even handle online orders so your hotcakes can really take off. Having one system handling all of this saves both time and money. And if there's two things we all want more of, it's time and money. Okay, so three things if you include hotcakes. That's probably why more than 37,000 businesses have already signed up for NetSuite by Oracle. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com 20K now to take advantage of this offer. That's netsuite.com two zero K. NetSuite.com slash 20K. In 2015, Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams released a song called Blurred Lines. It received public scrutiny for many reasons. Pharrell Williams has even gone as far as saying that he regrets writing this song. But outside of the lyrics, there's more to this story. The estate of Marvin Gaye asked for a songwriting credit on Blurred Lines because they said it was similar to Marvin Gaye's 1977 song, Got to Give It Up. Pharrell Williams and Robin Thicke actually sued first to get a declaration that their song did not infringe Marvin Gaye's work. And then Marvin Gaye's family were forced to defend. There was a corner of the internet that seemed elated that these flashy pop stars were getting called out for being unoriginal. Proof that they don't make them like they used to. Then there was another group that was seriously concerned. This case wasn't for a melody, lyrics, or any specific element. It was for the feel of a song, the style itself. This is unprecedented. Let's listen. Here's the beginning of Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams. Everybody, get up. And here's the beginning of the Motown classic, Got To Give It Up by Marvin Gaye. Now, there are some obvious similarities. The two songs are about the same tempo, roughly 120 beats per minute. And they have basically the same instruments, drums, some high-pitched percussion, bass, and energetic voices. Let's zoom in on the different parts. We recreated each part and layered it on top of the original songs to help focus on each sound. Let's start with the percussion. Here's Blurred Lines. And here it is in Got to Give It Up. So Blurred Lines uses cowbells, and Got to Give It Up uses a Coke bottle. They're playing different grooves, but achieve a similar feeling. The next thing is the drums. Here's the drum kit in Blurred Lines. And here's Got to Give It Up. also similar, but not exact. The kick and the snare drum are pretty much the same, but this is a super common drum beat. You can probably find a million songs that use the same kick, snare, kick, snare pattern. The little drum fills at the end of the phrase are also similar, but all of these are common expressions in drumming, so you can't copyright them. Up next is the bass line. Here it is in Blurred Lines. Here it is, and got to give it up. Similar, but not the same. Next is the vocals. Marvin Gaye's song uses a recording of people at a party. Robin Thicke and Pharrell Williams used their own whoops and shouts. So again, different, but achieving a similar feeling. To wrap up, let's listen to the originals one last time. Here's Blurred Lines. And here's Got to Give It Up. Okay, that was a lot of close listening. But it's important to remember that these songs didn't exist in a vacuum. Drums, percussion, bass, and vocals at 120 beats per minute describes hundreds, if not thousands, of songs. And this is just in the Motown and pop genres. And that's exactly what makes this case important. These elements are almost universal, and each part in isolation could be considered common expression. So how is it that anything we just played for you can be copyrighted? a lot of musicians were shocked this case went to court in the first place. In every genre, the music that came before helps to give new music context and meaning. So it's not surprising that Marvin Gaye would have a huge influence on today's artists. Pharrell was asked about this influence directly in court. Here's a clip from his deposition, published by The Hollywood Reporter back in 2015. Is it your testimony that you and Mr. Thicke never once, during the creation of Blurred Lines, spoke about, discussed, referenced the song Got to Give It Up by Marvin Gaye. I did not go in the studio with the intention of making anything to feel like, to sound like Marvin Gaye. However, before the trial, Pharrell gave an interview about the song and said that he was inspired by Marvin Gaye. Do you remember I asked you if Marvin Gaye at all came into your mind at all in the creation of Blurred Mm Lines," and you said no? Do you remember that? Yeah. You say in this interview I was trying to pretend that I was Marvin Gaye. Mm-hmm. So I guess Marvin Gaye did in fact come into your mind. When you asked me about "Got to Give It Up." I asked you about "Got to Give It Up." Yeah, you asked me about "Got to Give It Up." So Marvin Gaye came into your mind when you were creating blurred lines, but no, not when to I look up. back. When I look back, do you see here anywhere where you say when you look back? No, no, no. I'm telling you. I'm answering you. Ultimately, Pharrell Williams and Robin Thicke lost this case. The verdict was a $5.3 million payout to the Marvin Gaye family, plus 50% of the royalties to the song. They appealed, but they lost again. The judge wrote in the majority opinion that the decision was, quote, far from heralding the end of musical creativity as we know it, unquote. In a dissenting opinion, another judge wrote that this decision, quote, allows Marvin Gaye's family to accomplish what no one has done before, copyright a musical style
1: well, now you can just own a style of music, which is absolutely ridiculous. This is Adam Neely again. The problem is, in recent years, intellectual property holders have started bringing musicologists and music theorists into the courtroom, and then those music theorists and musicologists do that same thing of finding connections between songs and finding, hey, yeah, you know, blurred lines really does kind of sound like got to give it up, and here's why.
0: Musicology at a basic level is the study of music in a cultural context, and musicologists often try to find common ground between different musical styles. Adam thinks this field is being misconstrued in court.
1: Musicologists and music theorists are kind of gleefully doing what they've always done in the classroom, but now in the courtroom, it has very real-world effects that are deleterious to the entire craft and an entire history of music making. But
0: musicology is not the only thing considered in a copyright case. The testimony of the artist can play a huge role. Here's Sandra Astar's again.
2: I think there is some obligation on creators of all stripes that where you're going to incorporate the work of someone who came before you, you should give a nod of credit to them. When you have a jury that is in place to hear all of the arguments of the parties, understand all of the testimony of the experts, and then apply their own understanding and experience in the world, and one might agree or disagree with the jury's ultimate conclusion, but that to me is how the process is supposed to work.
0: As an audience and as a culture, we share a common goal. We want artists to freely express themselves and be able to make a living doing that. But the line between inspiration and theft is just blurry. Who owns what part of which song and what parts belong to all of us?
1: At the end of the day, the whole system probably should be rebuilt in a very, very different way than it exists right now. But I'm not going to call for that because that's way beyond the scope of me lonely bass player, music YouTuber, who just has opinions about music.
2: (laughs) In terms of the basics of copyright law, the structure is there and it's worked for hundreds of years. And there have been controversies for hundreds of years. But look how creative our culture is. Look how exponentially we expand our creativity year over year, decade over decade, Over the past several years, there's been a review by Congress of every aspect of the copyright laws, and they had something like 20 hearings and heard from 100 witnesses in those hearings, and then had public roundtables all around the country. And now they're in the phase of thinking about, well, are there things that should be changed about the law to update it for the future?
0: In the muck of lawsuits and red tape, creating art can be confusing most everything is inspired by something else. If we're scared to create something because it might accidentally be similar to something else, we're stifling our creativity. Sure, the law needs to protect work, but creatives can't be terrified of being inspired. And just in case, for my own legal safety, maybe I should tell you that this whole 20,000 Hertz podcast is heavily inspired by Radiolab, 99% Invisible, and Song Exploder. So Jad, Roman, and Rishikesh, please don't sue me. 20,000 Hertz is hosted by me, Dallas Taylor, and produced out of the sound design studios of DeFacto Sound. Find out more at DeFactoSound.com.
1: This episode was written and produced by Phil Corbett. And
0: me, Dallas Taylor. With help from Sam Sneebly.
1: It was sound edited by Soren Bejan. It was sound designed and mixed by Nick Spradlin.
0: By the way, that whole blurb where people record their own credit, that was inspired by Studio 360. The writer of this episode, Phil Corbett, is also the host of another podcast called Van Sounds. It's a unique blend of music journalism, travel writing, and experimental radio. Find Van Sounds right here in your podcast player. Thanks to Sandra Astars and Adam Neely for speaking with us. And I highly recommend you go immediately subscribe to Adam Neely's fantastic YouTube channel. Also, if you're a teacher or a professor and want to use 20,000 Hertz in your classrooms, go for it. Our mission is to make the world sound better and to help everyone understand sound in a deeper way. Finally, there are so many examples of other songs that sound similar. There are also so many other lawsuits that we couldn't get to. If there's another case you'd like to hear us cover in the future, tell us about it. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Reddit. Our subreddit is r 20k. And as always, if you'd like to connect directly, you can do that at hi 20k.org. Thanks for listening.